a lot of thought went into this morning, and so I'm glad that you're here to, to be a uh, part of what we're doing. Let's uh, stop and just pray real quick. Father, thank you for the privilege to come together, uh, to worship together, to reconnect uh, after the week, uh, to serve one another, um, and to hear from your word. We just are grateful for uh, the privilege that it is to have this time together uh, with our church. And we ask you to lead us now. We want to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to talk about uh, going all in with Jesus. Specifically, I want to talk about going all in with his church. And I'm grateful that Jesus, when he challenged us, he didn't leave things uh, just these vague kind of uh, uh, terms. He didn't say, well, just love God. Well, that's great. How do I do that? He said, you love God by loving one another. And I don't think he's saying to us, just, you know, be all in for me. Well, I don't even know what that means. And he gave us the church. And I think it's a little more practical, a little more hands-on. So we're, we're going to talk about specifically going all in with his church. I don't know if you're a poker player or not. We don't really need to get into that this morning, so no judgment here. Uh, but uh, we will talk about that eventually, and we'll have a little, uh, never mind. I'm not a poker player, um, and, uh, but I am familiar with the concept of going all in. And whether you've played poker or not, you understand the idea, too. In poker, it simply means, would anybody like to explain it? Because, careful now. Okay, I'll just, I'll just make this more comfortable. Uh, in, in poker, it simply means that a player has put the last of their chips in the pot, and there's nothing else that they can do at that point. They are totally committed. There's no backing out. So um, that's the analogy I want to use today. I hope you're okay with that. I hope the idea of poker and the image on the screen isn't too distracting to you. If it is, then just watch me, because, yeah. When I think of people in the Bible who were all in. Specifically, when I think of the New Testament, the people who followed Jesus. First of all, I think of Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' inner circle. We know them as the 12 disciples. Jesus actually had hundreds of disciples, but these 12 were his inner circle. And Peter had, as you probably know the story, had been a fisherman like his father and like his grandfather and who knows how many generations that had been fishermen. And Jesus comes along and says, Peter, I want you to follow me. And Peter drops what he's doing and follows Jesus. He leaves everything behind to follow Jesus. Then later, later, Peter was in a boat with the other disciples when a storm came up, and these seasoned fishermen were afraid they were going to die, and they're freaking out, and they look up, and Jesus comes walking by them on the water. The Bible says he actually passed them. He overtook them, it says. So he's making pretty good time out there just walking on the water while they're struggling against the weather. In the midst of this crazy storm, Peter calls out to Jesus and he says, Jesus, we're a little freaked out here. Some of us, some of these guys think you're a ghost. I'm not so sure. Uh, So if it's really you, why don't you ask me to come walk on the water too? And Jesus says, come. And Peter, without missing a beat, swings his legs over the side of the boat and takes a step on the water. And then he takes another step and he begins to walk on the water. Peter was an all-in kind of guy, just the way he was. But even Peter had a really embarrassing moment where he stumbled, and it was a big deal. Check this out. In Luke chapter 22, Luke 22, I want to read a couple verses here, a few verses here. Let me remind you what's going on before we get to the verses. Jesus had just been arrested. They're taking him to be tried. They're they're determined to find a way to sentence him to death. So uh, verse 54 
says, Then seizing him, Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. And Peter followed at a distance. Stop there for a second, because here's Peter's first mistake. Here's when things start to go bad for Peter. This is step one for him, and it's going to lead to a much bigger problem. It says, Peter followed at a distance. For the, think about this. For the previous three and a half years that he's been with Jesus, this hasn't been the case. He's been right there with Jesus. Wherever Jesus is, that's where Peter is. And he's as close to Jesus as he can possibly get. But in this moment, Peter is following at a distance. Here's what you need to know. A long-distance relationship with Jesus just doesn't work. It's not what we're called to. It's not what Jesus has in mind, and it doesn't work. Because when you're not close in your relationship with Jesus, and you're not growing in your relationship with Him, and you're not hearing from Him, and you're not spending time with Him, things start to go badly for you because you're going to be more easily tempted to turn away. That was definitely true for Peter. He's following at a distance, and that's his first huge mistake. Verse 55. When some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. So, so Peter's following at a distance, and now he's hanging out with the wrong people. Verse 56. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you're also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. But an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And Peter denies the same person that he left everything for. He denies the one who called him out of the boat to walk on the water. Because now all of a sudden he's afraid of what it's going to cost him. He's afraid of what being publicly associated with Jesus will cost him. Ever been there? Verse 60. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine? And Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. I bet he did. Where Jesus said, before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. Verse 62. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Can you imagine the shame that Peter felt? Can you imagine the agony of knowing that he had disappointed Jesus? Can you imagine the, the, the betrayal that Jesus felt? Can you imagine the sense of abandonment that one of his followers, in this moment where his time on earth is winding down, that one of his followers would abandon him? And knowing that in the next few hours, he would die for the sins of humanity, including Peter. And Peter's embarrassed? Peter's afraid to admit that he knows him because of what people might think, because of what it might cost him. And Jesus catches Peter's eye and Peter can't take it, and he runs away, and he breaks down. Another follower of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, <coughs> another all-in kind of guy, he says this in Romans chapter 1. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the good news about Jesus because it's Jesus who rescued me from my sin. It's Jesus who set me free from the penalty of my sin. It's Jesus who changed my life. So I am not ashamed. And you might be sitting here on a Sunday morning in the safety and security of a, of a church with other believers thinking, I'm not ashamed either because I've never denied Jesus. I've never run away from him. I've never abandoned him. I've never refused to identify with him. Let me ask you this. What would it look like in your life for you to take a stand for Jesus? 
what would it look like for you to be all in for Jesus, to drop everything and follow him? Practically, what would that look like for you? I want to give you a couple ways to show that you're all in, a couple really practical, tangible ways to demonstrate that you're all in. The first way is to get baptized. Baptism is a public identification with Jesus. It's saying, I'm not ashamed to publicly identify with Jesus. He's my Savior. He's my Lord, and I'm a follower of Jesus. That's what, that's what baptism is. It's a public profession that you're a follower of Jesus. So some of you this morning need to make some plans to get baptized, and we would love to help you with that. That's the next step for you. And I know you probably have some questions. That's cool. I hope you have questions. We just might have some answers for those questions. In fact, if you'll stop by the media table in the lobby on your way out, right to the right of the door, there's a little sign there that says uh, what we believe about baptism. And there's a stack of CDs there, about a 30-minute talk on what we believe about baptism. So if you have never been baptized and you're thinking that might be my next step in identifying and following uh, Jesus, uh, but I've got some questions. First, grab that CD and listen to it and then come with, uh, to us with your questions and we'd be, lo- be happy and we'd love to kind of be, track with you through that process. Um, oh, by the way, just so we don't leave Peter outside of the campfire weeping in a shame, a few days later in John 21, after the crucifixion, after Jesus is buried, after the resurrection, Jesus kind of catches Peter off guard and he restores him. And then just a few weeks later, Peter stands up before the crowd that had gathered to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And he stands up and he raises his voice and he speaks to the crowd and he's unashamed. And he says in Acts 2, he says, listen, you are the ones. You're the ones who put Jesus to death. It was your sin that nailed him to the cross. There's a price to be paid for your sin and Jesus paid the price. Now repent from your sin, come to Jesus And have your sins forgiven. And that day, because of Peter's boldness, 3,000 people were saved and publicly identified themselves with Jesus. For some of you, the first step you need to take is is to take that step toward Jesus, to accept that free gift of salvation that he's offering. For some of you, you've already accepted the gift. You know what it is to have your sins forgiven. Now it's time to identify with him in baptism and begin to follow him. For others, it's time to get serious and to get intentional about building relationships with people who don't yet know Jesus, to invest in that relationship, to invite them to take the next steps towards Jesus. I'm going to say more about that in a minute. Here's the deal. I'm absolutely and totally convinced that if you're going to be all in with Jesus, you have to be all in with his church because the New Testament is pretty clear that God created us to do life as a follower of Jesus in community, to be in community with other followers of Jesus. That's how God designed it. So we need to get intentional about getting into community. By community, and for some of those of you who have been tracking with me for the last 20 years, you know I'm like a broken record on this, but I mean being in environments where you can live out the one another passages of the New Testament, where you can love and be loved, where you can know and be known, where you can serve and be served, environments where you can deeply encourage one another, honor one another, accept one another, edify one another, forgive one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds. You can't do the one another's alone. You can't do the one another's without significant connection with other believers. You can't do the one another's without biblical community. And being all in with Jesus and his church means that you're connected with other followers of Jesus. You're depending on each other to grow in your relationship with Jesus, to stay on the mission that he's called you to, because you simply can't do it alone. 
So you're thinking, amen, that's right, Todd, and that's why I go to church on Sundays. That's why I attend church on Sunday as often as I can. Here's the problem with that. First of all, church is not something you go to. Church is not a building or a service or a program or a formality. The church is people. It's people that are on a common mission, depending on each other to grow spiritually and to live more like Jesus. So you're probably thinking, well, okay, I can come to church like as often as I can, and you want more than that. What do you want from me exactly? Isn't it enough that I'm here? Isn't it enough that I'm here a lot? Isn't it enough that I'm like here like every week? Maybe, okay, maybe every other week, but I try to get here whenever I can when there's not something else going on. I mean, I'm here enough that I got my parking space. I got my seat in this room. I come in when the lights are still off and the band's practicing, and I plop my things on my seat so nobody else takes my seat, because that's my seat. And I got my routine down, and the people at the coffee bar know what I like in my coffee, and I got a handful of people here that I know, and that's pretty much, well, I don't really know them. I don't know their names, but their faces are familiar because they sit close to me. And you're telling me that isn't enough? What do you want from me? If you're relatively new here, this might surprise you, Uh, but if you've been around here for a while, you know what I'm going to say. As much as we love Sunday morning, And we put a lot of thought and a lot of effort and a lot of preparation and a lot of emphasis on this environment and this experience. But Sunday morning is not enough. This experience alone is insufficient for significant spiritual growth. I want to explain why. You can learn in a row. That's great. We need to do that. I encourage you to learn. You can be inspired and moved in a row. But you don't grow as much in a row. The Apostle James says in his letter to the believers who were scattered, he said that listening is not the optimum experience for growing. We can learn by listening, but we grow when we do. We grow best when we act. We grow best when we interact with the truth with one another. You grow best in circles. As great as rows are, circles are better. You grow best in circles with other followers of Jesus. And if I could just, if I could push a magical button and change anything about our church or make anything true of our church, it would be that every one of us would be in some sort of intentional biblical community, some sort of intentional, maybe structured biblical community with other followers of Jesus doing life together so that as things come along, good things, bad things, things to celebrate, things to encourage each other through. I could, if I could just push a button and place all of us into meaningful relationships with other believers. And over the years at Faith Community, we've, we've created and experimented with all kinds of environments, small groups in homes, men's ministries, women's ministries, uh, young adult ministries, all kinds of environments where we can get smaller than we are in this room on Sunday. Because I'm convinced that as great as Sunday morning is, and the truth is you may grow in rows, but you grow best in circles, because circles are better than rows. And we're trying to give you opportunities to experience biblical community in group settings. This summer, in the summertime, we had 50 of you sat around tables and had some incredible guided conversations about passing our faith on to the next generation. Some of you got to know some people on a little bit deeper level in those six weeks of the Sticky Faith series. And we're giving you an opportunity to continue exploring that topic in a few weeks when we get together to follow up with parents and grandparents and mentors and teachers and influencers of children um, on Sunday night, October 15th. We're going to plan to be a part of that conversation. Then we're giving you a couple more opportunities. We started yesterday with Kindred Spirits, with the women's group. And then on Tuesday night with Men's Frat kicking off for the fall. And then Thursday night with part one of the Worshipper series. We know that we can't force you into community, but we are being as intentional as we possibly can about creating environments and giving you options. So please, 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 
get into one of these environments. Here's what you need to know about that, though. Biblical community in that environment isn't guaranteed, but it is possible. You may make some significant connections. You may not. But I guarantee if you don't get into some intentional small group environments, you definitely won't experience biblical community. And you may not really care about that right now because you're not really a relational, warm, fuzzy kind of person. But I guarantee when the wheels start to come off and you start to struggle in your marriage, your kids have disappointed you, and somebody loses a job and there's a serious illness, you will crave connection. And you won't have it. And you'll feel alone. And you'll wonder where all your friends are. And you'll blame the church for not coming through for you. I'm telling you, get into some small group environments because you just never know what kind of relationships might form there. And you certainly never know when you're going to need those friendships. And if you aren't the one in need, it could be that God wants you to be the one providing care and support for someone else. How are you going to even know about the need in someone's life if how do, you, how do you know when people need support if you haven't done the work to build those relationships? What we really want for you is to be connected, for you to have significant, growing connections with other Christ followers. It doesn't really matter to us really where or how that happens. It just matters that it happens and that it's meaningful and that it's growing and that it's intentional and that the relationship revolves around Jesus. I've been wondering, what if... What if we could create environments where real relationships with God and with each other could grow every time that we gather? What if all kinds of people could gather in those environments to hear inspiring stories, to engage in conversations on a regular basis? What if we gathered with one another to discuss topics that were relevant to our lives, spend lots of time in some guided conversation, and experience maybe a spiritual aha moment that connects God to our everyday lives? Is it even possible for a church to create environments where people can fully expect to grow closer to someone every time they're there? Is it possible for this church to be known as a place where we can all participate and engage and grow in our relationships? Whether you recognize it, whether you admit it or not, we all crave relationships. We all want to be known. We want to contribute to the conversation. Here's the deal. Faith in God develops much like other relationships. It's not a strict linear process. It's like our human relationships, messy, filled with ups and downs, lots of forward and backward. God, our Heavenly Father, is alive. He's, he's active in our world, and He's ultimately relational. And I think faith comes to life through relationships. Jesus said, loving God and loving people. Oh, did I tell you that we have an agenda for your life? I just want to be up front with you. We have an agenda. If you want to, you're like, oh, here we go. This is it. Here's the, yeah, we want you in circles. Because it's in circles in your living room, around your kitchen table, around the fire pit, over coffee, on the golf course, on the boat. You get the idea. It's in circles that significant connections are made. And when stumbling blocks are placed in your path and when you're down, we want someone to be there to help us get up. So my challenge to you is let's circle up. Let's get in biblical community. We're talking about what it means to be all in for Jesus and what it means to be all in with his church. I want to share this story about a guy in the New Testament in the first century church who was all in. He sets this amazing example for us. In the first few chapters of the book of Acts, this new thing, the church, was just exploding with growth. And the Holy Spirit was moving and people were coming to Jesus and their lives were being changed. 
And along with that, there are some challenges. You find out one of those challenging situations in Acts chapter 6, where the, in the, apostle, the apostles get together to try to figure this out. I want to read a few verses in Acts chapter 6, start with verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. They were, they were talking about meeting some felt needs, some physical needs within their church families. Verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Because they're like, we don't have time to deal with the nitty-gritty of the daily operation of this thing that God is doing. God has called us to teach the Word, to pray, to lead. There's a situation here with the way that we're distributing food to those in need. This is something God, that Jesus called us to do. This is part of the mission of the church, so we need to do it. But we're having some issues here, this situation with that. And we need some capable people to step up and take care of this. So they choose seven men to oversee their efforts to serve the, all these felt needs, the physical needs within the church. One of these seven was a man named Stephen. Maybe you've heard of Stephen. Stephen wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He wasn't an apostle. But Acts says he was a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. He's just a guy who's on fire for Jesus. He's all in. And one day, Stephen is just doing what he always did, serving the people in the church, serving the widows and the orphans and the poor and the disadvantaged, and serving the people in their church and serving the people in their community and boldly proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. And the Jewish religious leaders didn't like what he had to say, so they tried to shut him down, and the whole thing kind of escalates real fast. I mean, in chapter 6, he's chosen to organize the distribution of food. In chapter 7, he's appearing before the high priest to answer for what he's been saying. And if you don't know the rest of the story of Stephen, go to Acts chapter 6 and read all the way through Acts chapter 7. It takes a horrifying twist, and it'll blow your mind. But here's the thing you need to remember, is that Stephen wasn't one of the upfront leader-type guys. He was serving behind the scenes, serving felt needs. The Bible says waiting tables. Can I just tell you um, what we have going on here at Faith Community just doesn't happen every day in churches in Down East Maine? We took some time a couple weeks ago to have a volunteer appreciation morning. And it's, uh, it's meaningful, but it's also kind of a token thing. It's just a simple thank you. The Faith Community Fellowship wouldn't be what it is today without people who've been willing to be inconvenienced. We were a church for eight and a half years before we ever had our own building. We were setting up and tearing down every week for eight and a half years. Not real convenient. And we didn't design the church with 60-somethings in mind. And we have more people 55 and up than we, maybe we've ever had in our church. And we're determined to keep doing things in a way that appeals to a younger generation. Just want to kind of put everybody on notice Okay, just so you know. We want to continue to do things in a way that, that meets the needs of young families and young adults. Well, you know, when we started this church, I was 28. I was a young guy. It was 20 years ago. Do the math. You can do the thing, carry the thing, do that. <laughs> Would you like to hear a hymn every once in a while, maybe? Would you like to hear your favorite Don Moen or Darlene Jack song from 1998? Sure. But then you realize it's not about you. We're doing what we're doing the way that we're doing it for the sake of the people who aren't here yet. And we're going to continue to reach people in our community. And we're going to, if we're going to do that, 
We need more and more of us to set aside our preferences and our tastes and our insider way of doing things and thinking about things. And we need all of you to keep buying into new ways and new methods and new approaches and new priorities for the sake of the mission that God's called us to. <clears throat> it is so easy to approach church with a consumer mentality. It's kind of, here's what I mean by that. It's kind of the difference between renting a house and owning a house. How many of you ever rented a house or an apartment at any point in your life? Let me see. Okay. <clears throat> when you're renting a house or an apartment and the furnace breaks down or the roof starts to leak, you get on the phone and you call the landlord, right, Scott? Because it's the landlord's problem. And I'm not going to pay next month's rent until that's fixed. It's probably not in the lease. You've all been there. You remember that? You're like, oh, man, life was so much simpler. When the thing didn't work, it got on the phone. It got fixed magically by the time I got home from work. When you own your house, the dream, the American dream of home ownership. And when I say own your house, what I mean is the bank owns it. You, the mortgage is in your name, and you live there. You know what I mean, right? Okay. <clears throat> when you're an owner, the problem is yours. You don't get to hand the problem off to someone else. You don't get to pack up your things and move to the next place. You're responsible because you're the owner. In this church right now, we need you, all of you, to think like owners. So be an owner. If you've been here for more than a month, set aside your renter's mentality. Think of yourself as an owner. That's our next step. Be an owner. When people get disappointed with their church experience and they just uproot and move on to the next church down the street without ever offering to be part of a solution, they're doing church with a renter's mentality. There's no ownership. There's no sense of personal responsibility. There's no buy-in. But I'm telling you, we need you to buy in. We need you to put your roots down. We need you to engage with one another here and outside this setting. We need you to get involved and to volunteer. We need you to invest your time and your creativity. And we need you to support this ministry financially. See where God is moving and be a part of that. I mean, this church would not be what it is today if it weren't for some people who are just all in. Some of them from day one. People who bought in, they approached church like owners. They gave of their time. They gave of their creativity. They gave financially. They gave sacrificially. And they invested in relationships outside of the Sunday morning experience. And if we're going to continue to be healthy, and if we're going to continue to reach our, your friends and your family and your co-workers and your neighbors, if we're going to continue to be a place where unchurched people feel welcomed and loved and cared for, we need more of us to become owners, to buy in. Let me give you a couple practical suggestions, steps we can take to shift from a renter's mentality, a consumer mentality, to thinking and acting like an owner at Faith Community. First of all, I would say, don't be a complainer. Like, people complain at church? What kinds of things do people complain about at church? Whew, I made a list and then I just couldn't carry it. Um, the music's too loud. The room's too dark. The kids are too distracting. The coffee's too strong. I don't know what that even means. The pastor talks too long. The teaching isn't deep enough. That's my personal favorite. I don't like being told where to park. I couldn't have made that up, by the way. We've had, do you know that people have left our church because they didn't like being told where to park? Can you believe that? 
if you want a picture of someone who's all in, it's the parking team in the middle of January. <laughs> These men and women, yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> These are men and women who get here an hour before church starts. They stand out in the cold and they stand out in the heat and the rain and everything else that our main climate has to offer. And it's kind of a thankless job. But here's the deal. I've been here for events that we've hosted for where the event organizers didn't provide a parking team. And when things are all done and everyone's leaving at the same time, that parking lot is chaos. And, and I don't know if you notice, people get impatient and aggravated when they have to sit and wait a few minutes. And it just gets ugly. Instead of complaining about things like that, Stop and shake their hand on your way in. Offer to bring them a fresh cup of coffee from the coffee bar. Instead of complaining that the music's too loud or you don't really like this song or that song, instead, come to the stage some Sunday and say thank you to our volunteers who come here every Thursday night for a rehearsal, who practice their instruments on their own time, who arrive an hour before church starts on Sunday and are willing to be vulnerable enough, think about this, to play their instruments on stage or to actually sing into a live microphone. Yeah. Thank the guys in the booth who may not mix the sound exactly as you would if you even knew, if you could only figure out how to turn it on, or who might, who might <gasps> occasionally be late with a lyric cue. Memorize the songs. Let's do less complaining, <laughs> let's do more thanking, and let's do more volunteering. Don't be a complainer. That's number one. All right. Yeah. There we go. Number two on this list of be an owner. Invest and invite. Jesus said, if you're one of my followers, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So there's no such thing as a follower of Jesus who's not bringing someone to Jesus, who's not looking for someone to bring to Jesus. And uh, you're like, well, that, you know, that whole outreach evangelism thing is not really my gift. No, but it is your calling as a follower of Jesus. It is your personal responsibility. In a faith community, we believe the best way to do that is to invest in relationships, build real relationships with people who don't know Jesus. And in time, when the Holy Spirit prompts you, you will be given opportunities to invite them, to invite them to some environment at church, to some function, to a Sunday morning, to a Christmas or Easter thing, maybe into a small group, to a special event where they can interact with other followers of Jesus. And maybe at some point, you'll be able to invite them into a relationship with Jesus. Be an owner. Next thing you can do is you can start to volunteer. What better way, seeing that we're all very busy people and our time is so limited, what better way to invest your time than to get involved in what God is doing in His church and for the sake of His kingdom? Maybe God hasn't called you or maybe you're not quite ready to be an apostle like Peter or Paul. Maybe your role right now is to wait tables like Stephen. Don't ever underestimate the significance of your contribution in the life of this church. And I know there are leadership roles, there are roles that we call perceived leadership roles, and by their nature, they get the most attention. Because when you stand on a stage and you have a spotlight and a microphone, it's easy to think that your deal is more important than the people who vacuumed this stage yesterday morning. But I'm telling you, we can't do what we do without the people who are willing to wait on tables, to serve behind the scenes, even to fill gaps whenever necessary. Let me just offer this challenge to you, even if you're, you're thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me because I've got to pick up like four schedules today because I'm on so many teams. Let me offer this challenge if you're already volunteering. And you're like, really, there's more? Yeah. 
Perhaps you're serving in some capacity and you've been there for a while, but you and I both know that you're capable of more. You have other gifts that should be offered to the church. You have availability, you have creativity, you have insight, you have leadership skills, and we're totally fine with you continuing to serve on an entry-level team. But I'm just challenging you to think about jumping in somewhere else, too. We, we really, really, really want to start more and more small group environments where we can give people lots of options. And some of you are more than capable of leading a table group in a small group discussion. You have the benefit of years of church experience. You've been in leadership in other settings, maybe in other churches. You have hospitality gifts. You have a home that would be a great place for a small group. Maybe you've been serving on a kid's team for a while, or maybe for a long time. And maybe it's time for you to go to your ministry team leader and say, I'd really, I've been doing this for a long time and I love it, most of it. And I would really like to learn more about what goes into preparing for Sunday. Because like, I've been on this team for a long time and I just roll in and all my stuff is just there, magically appears. I'd like to know about planning curriculum. And I'd like to know about organizing supplies. I'd like to know about how you do the scheduling. Step up, go to your team leader and offer that. I'd also suggest that you learn CPR because they're going to need to be revived. Then you can have the conversation. (laughs) Be, Be an owner. Next, these are no particular order, by the way. You can start to give your money. It's quite possible that there are some people in this room who've never given a cent to this church. It's possible. Maybe you don't fully understand what we need the money for. Maybe no one's ever explained that to you. Maybe you've never been taught the biblical principle of the tithe and managing your money in a way that's honoring to God. Maybe you think you don't have the money to give. First of all, we would love to help you with all of that. On a pretty regular basis, we offer Financial Peace University, and that experience has literally changed family cultures in our church. You need to jump in on the next time we announce that we're offering that course. Across the country, the, nas- the national trend is that church income is declining. That's actually true for us, too. We're making do with less income than we had even three years ago. So I really want to challenge you with this. If you don't give regularly right now, I want to challenge you to give something. Start somewhere. Start today and start with something. Something is more than nothing, which is helpful. So start there. And then do it regularly, because a one-time gift is not that helpful, with all due respect. It isn't something we can budget on. And if you think, oh, here's a 20, and you slide it in my pocket, like, I'd rather you take me out for lunch. Start (laughs) Start with something, and then do it regularly. You can drop a check. We still process those. Uh, Cash, we will accept that as well. You can drop that in the boxes in the lobby. Because you're like, well, you never take an offering. Well, we take an offering every week and as many, almost every, every way but one. Okay, we aren't going to put a plate in front of you, but we are going to put boxes in the lobby and we've got a P.O. box and we got, you can give online right now if you want to. If you use the Bible app, a bunch of you got the Bible app open right now and you've got the events open, you're on today's event. If you scroll down to the link at the bottom of the page there, you can give right now. So if you check out here for about two minutes, you don't hear a word I'm saying, but you give an extravagant gift, you're totally excused. Okay, so, yeah. Um, you can even set up a recurring donation. More and more people are doing that, are setting up a recurring donation. It's just that that's helpful, helpful for you. Oh, then, listen. So that's my challenge to those of you who really haven't been in the habit of giving on a regular basis, or maybe you've never given anything, and you don't think that somehow that's not your responsibility. It's for all the people 50 and up. Listen. Then if you've been giving for a while, 
maybe it's time to think about increasing that amount. If you give a flat amount each week or each month, it might be time to boost that a little because if you're a percentage giver, it might be time to tick that up a notch or two. If you're making more money today than you were five years ago, but you're still giving the same amount, your giving hasn't kept up with your income. It's time to make an adjustment. Here's the reality. This church will not flourish. It will not thrive on $20 donations per household. I know that's hard to hear, but do the math. I'm just picking $20 out of the air. $20 per household every week doesn't pay the bills. I know this is very nitty-gritty, very specific kind of stuff, but if you've got questions about how we spend money or, or where, well, where's all the money go then, uh, we'd be more than happy to show you some numbers. We welcome the accountability. We're cool with that. I just think until we are giving, until we are feeling that at least a little bit, for some of us, until we're doing more than we're doing right now, for some of us, until we're giving more than the extra cash in our wallet on any given Sunday because I haven't really thought about it until we roll in and we see someone else putting something in the box, then we will approach our role in this church as renters, as tenants, as consumers, not as owners. And until we're thinking as owners, we will continue to hand off responsibilities that God has called us and expecting us to take care of. We're talking about being all in is my final point. Lastly, pray. Really pray. Pray regularly for your church. Pray for its leaders. Pray for its unity. Pray for its purity of doctrine. Pray for its reach in our community. Pray for a spirit of worship to characterize our gatherings. Pray for a movement of God among our kids and our teenagers. Pray for our young families for wisdom and courage and endurance for parents with little kids. Pray for the people who sit near you. Pray for the people that you serve with or that serve you and your family on Sundays. Pray for your church. That's what someone who's all in does. They really pray. So let's go public by being baptized. Then let's be in community be an owner, and let's really pray. Think about it. What a privilege it is to be a part of what God is doing in his kingdom in Ellsworth, Maine. It's an honor. I thank God all the time that I get to be here to be a part of this, to be a part of the faith community story. What a journey. I mean, we've been celebrating all year, been celebrating our 20th anniversary, and it's been great to look back, and, and, and that's modeled for us in Scripture. There's value in that and looking back to remind us of God's faithfulness in the past. But I'm super excited about the future. Can you even begin to imagine what the next 20 years could hold for us? I just want to be a part of what God is doing, and I want to experience it with you. So I just want to tell you that, that I'm all in. That's my commitment, and I hope you are too. I've got some people positioned in the room to hand out some response cards. They're going to do that right now, guys, if you would do that. And while they do that, if you could just kind of, uh, kind of watch up here. And <clears throat> got a card for everybody in the room. This is a poker chip. For, I know I need to explain that because you're Christians, no? But I, I put these in a couple bowls up front. And I want you to make, in a, in a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make your way to the front and pick one up. I just want it to be a reminder to you of this message today 
to remind you of this idea of being all in, being all in as a follower of Jesus, all in for his church, all in. Just stay. You can hang with me for a minute because I'm going to give you a minute to read the card. Can, can, can you do that? I'm going to give you a minute to read the card, and I know it's dark in here. You can get your phone out and turn the light on if you want to, but just listen. I want, I'm going to invite you to come and grab a poker chip as a reminder of, what, of this idea of being all in for Jesus and, and all in for his church and all in for his kingdom for what God's doing on earth. And then the response card. Um, you can take a look at the card if you've got it. Like I said, I know it's dark in places, but um, anyway. I've given you a chance to respond in a very specific way on that card. Um, very specific things to do in light of what we've talked about this morning. And if you're wondering, how can I get more invested in the life of faith community? How can I be more involved? How can I be a Stephen? Where can I serve behind the scenes? How can I be a Peter or a Paul and bring my leadership gifts to the table? How can I be a good steward of the godly heritage and the church experience that God has allowed me to have that's been so positive? What should I do next? Because I really want to be all in. Well, as we often do, I'm going to play some music here in just a minute. I would ask you to take a minute to give some thought to the response card. Uh, grab a pen and a seat back near you. You might need to share with the person near you. Fill out the card. Bring it to the front. Leave it on the stool. Turn it face down. Leave it on one of these stools, the head of these aisles. And then take a chip as a reminder of your commitment and circle back around to your seat, kind of like we do for communion. So come down these inside aisles and go back on the outside aisles. Keep that poker chip somewhere where we see it. I took a Sharpie and I just wrote today's date on one side and I wrote all in on the other and I'm just keeping that on my desk. I want this to be your church, a place where you can put your roots down spiritually and relationally and experientially. There are some people here who, when we were telling stories about our first 20 years together as a church a few weeks ago, uh, they experienced all 20 years together. And it wasn't always pretty, and we didn't always get it right, but we were in it together. And we want you to be a part of the next 20 years. Whatever God has in store for our future, we want you to be a part of the story. So let's be all in. It's as if there are a couple paths before you. You can choose one path that's just kind of the same old, same old, kind of safe, pretty easy. Just keep coming to church on most Sundays when it's convenient. Uh, You know, you haven't got other things going on. And maybe throw a few bucks in the box and maybe complain about some stuff to anybody that'll listen and help out here and there. Um, And that's, we'll just keep doing that. Or you can choose a path that's extraordinary and it's going to require some sacrifice But at the end, there's so much blessing and value and return on your investment that is eternal. And I just want to challenge you to choose the extraordinary path. Let's choose to go all in. All right? We're going to play some music, and you respond.